Welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. We're in studio today, and I'm pleased to be joined by Jason Smithers, former professional player, played locally as well, started at Center Grove, then went on to play a year at IUPUI, wrapped up his career at IPFW, and played overseas for two years, a year in Canada, a year in Australia, and then transitioned into becoming a trainer for all ages, ranging from you know elementary school all the way up to the pros. Jason, appreciate you joining me in the studio today. Thanks for having me, Scott. Let's first touch on the Pacers. That's the local story. This is the Pacers podcast. It surprised me their start in that they're four and four. They haven't looked very sharp at all. Haven't won on the road. It's not that you don't expect bumps in the road early on, especially when you make a such a big shift, but. Have you been surprised in how poor they've played? Not just the results, but how they've played. To an extent, mostly because all the other teams that were supposed to contend that made big moves all are performing well. You got the Jazz, the Rockets, the Thunder. You know, they're all performing at high levels. And then the Pacers, yeah, their records, what are they, 4-4 four and four now? Yeah. But at the same time, they're, it's an ugly 4-4. Four and four. You know, they're in a game and then they get blown out, and then they're in a tight game with Philly, and it's just, you expect a Philly, lot Philly, man. Better. Yeah. And it's a Philly team without Ben Simmons, without Joel Embiid. And it's not like without Nerlens Noel. Yeah. So there's really no excuse, <laughs> essentially. You know, and yeah, you expect bumps on the roads. It's very similar to the Pacers start last year and how they, but the difference was last year they were in every game. At the beginning of the year, it was what, yeah, what the issue was, and it wasn't just early in the season, all season long, was that they couldn't finish games. I think they had 15 games decided by five points or less in the couple, final two minutes of a game. Yeah, and you attribute that to growing pains. You know, you got to learn to win, you got to learn to finish. But late in the season, that's got to go away, and it never did. You expect it to. You and do. then the problem is you hit the reset button with so many new faces again this year that not only are you trying to learn how to win again, but you're also trying to learn defensive schemes, learn comfort with other guys. You know, anytime you add a new point guard into the realm, it throws off that, the whole chemistry of a team. On offense Not, especially. I mean, and until you start to all vibe together, you know, it can really make things look ugly for a while. Because whenever you look at a team in the NBA that loses their starting point guard, you know, usually that team loses. And it's not to anybody else's fault. It's just you lose chemistry. And I'm of the belief that the point guard's the most important position, are you, in the I, NBA game? I, I think a point guard is what dictates the team. I think, obviously, each team has a different most important person. But I'd say on the majority of teams, the point guard's where it's at. Now, a lot of teams play point guard by committee, or you know, you have point forwards nowadays. Yeah. So the whole point guard thing is kind of skewed. But if you don't have somebody that you can trust to make the right decision every time down the floor, you're in trouble. He sets the tone offensively and defensively. He could be the quarterback. Doesn't have to be vocal, but it has to either lead by uh, with his voice or on the court with his actions. He's the guy, if they don't know what they're doing, they can turn to. It's things like that. Yeah, you always just need that guy that, you know, the coach, every coach needs a guy like that too, where he you does. just say, all right, here, make sure we get in this. Hey, make sure we make the right play. Hey, make sure, you know, PG gets his shots. Make sure, you know, we're getting the ball inside. Well, you don't usually tell the small forward or the power forward to do that. You tell your point guard. And that's one of the things I thought was interesting last night talking to Jeff Teague is he goes, late in the game he scored nine in the final three minutes or so. Nine straight for the Pacers. He goes, yeah, I stopped thinking out there. There's a point in the game where you just overthink so much, and I'm not surprised by that because 
all the things we mentioned. New head coach, new philosophy on the offensive and defensive end. New new players he's surrounded by. It's tough to get comfortable out there, lead a team, and late in games, you don't quite have that comfort with anyone yet. Yeah, and I mean, just phenomenal. I mean, in the open court, he's unbelievable. But he comes. He's been in a system in Atlanta where there was such continuity for so long mm-hmm. that it becomes old hat. He, he, I mean, he literally is able to just show up and play down there. And that's what helped the Pacers several years ago. That's what I always say why the Pacers jumped out that, to that outstanding start uh, during the 2013-14 mm-hmm. season was while everyone else was making a couple tweaks, maybe a change in coach. Was that the GQ year? When they were GQ. all in the GQ magazine? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They went out, got off to an outstanding start. I think they won 33 of their first 40 games. Mm-hmm. And that hot start was because they brought back everything they had last year. And so when the guys are on the court or late in games, they know what Lance is doing. They know what Roy can and cannot do, where Paul is going to be. And those are the early struggles you see with the Pacers and you see with a lot of the other teams. The Pacers, to a a higher extent, it's more worrisome. And they're scoring the ways they want. 110 points per game. Which is great. A little higher than I thought they'd get to. I don't think you can win at that level for them. Because to me, for them to score that much, they're asked to, you know, right now, they're getting, there's too many defensive possessions that they're on. And they're just too raw defensively at the moment. But. Their roster isn't built to play defense. You know, they're just built to score and score and score and score and score. And who do you look on to that roster to defend? You know, you want to say outside P- of Paul. And you, but even with Paul, you want to say PG is going to be your lockdown defender. But that's a lot of effort to put out onto the defensive end when he has to carry a scoring load so high for them to win. Because if Paul's not getting his twenty-five to thirty. Are you scoring enough to win in a game when you look at the roster and who's going to put points? He scored 10 in Charlotte season low, and it was their worst game of the season. And you get blown out. You know, it's just when you look at teams across the league, is you can always write in the top teams. You know, you look at Golden State, you can write KD in for his 25 a night. You can write Steph in for his 28 a night. You can write Clay in for his 18 to potentially 40. You know, but that, he's the Who wild knows? card, right, right? You know, but you look at the top teams in the league, right. and they you all usually can write in what they're going to do on a basis, you know, give or take five or six points sure. for the top three players. The Pacers just have such volatility once you drop past PG. You know, you might have a night where you know last night Jeff goes for thirty, you know, but the, what was it the night before? CJ Miles and Charlotte goes for. Yeah, the, the four games before that, C.J. Miles has been averaging 20. And then Miles Turner might go off for a 20-point game. But then a next night, he might get 15. And then Monte Ellis right now, scoring-wise, he, he hadn't been there. It doesn't look like he's looking to. He, he looked, you're right. That, no, that's true, because he hadn't put up the attempts. I think he, As a volume scorer, he's, still, he's not putting up those attempts, so he's deferring to others. Yeah, from a spectator perspective... It looks like he's trying to be the guy that doesn't need the ball. He looks like a guy when he's playing that's trying to glue the team together and just make sure that everybody else can get theirs. Even when he penetrates, the old times when he would penetrate, do his over-the-top Euro step, and (laughs) always shoot that little runner or floater or get the foul, now he's kicking out to the corner. I haven't seen that from him. He, lo- he loves that drive, jump pass, and, oh, I'll send it to this guy. Yeah. It drives me nuts because I hate the jump pass. But. but, I mean, it's because he's so th- he's such a threat going to the rim with his floater game. It's killer. So everybody, if you don't converge, you know. What I wonder is will this continue or is this something he's doing early on 
to try to get others and get involved, engaged, and comfortable. I think for the Pacers to really succeed, somebody else has to follow that lead. You know, it's just at, in addition to him. In addition to him, okay. Because there's just at the end of the day, you know, there's just not enough shots to go around. And you have to have, you know, that's where the Solomon Hill, you know, he was just a glue guy. You know, he would defend, he'd do his job. And, and bring energy the ball, off the bench. Yeah, and when you look down the Pacers roster, who brings that? You know, who's going to be the person that's on the floor for the loose ball, that's sliding over to take the charge, you know, that's going after every offensive rebound? It's very hard to find that. But then when you look at all the top teams in the NBA, you know, Golden State. I'm telling Draymond's going to do it. You look mm-hmm. at Cleveland. You know Kevin loves. He's all over the place. With the Pacers, the two guys that immediately come to mind are Miles. I think Miles will do anything. Miles will do anything, but that's because he's he's young. He's developing. Yep. I mean, he's going to be eager. A super, he's he's going to be a superstar. And then CJ Miles is one of the most selfless players on this roster. In my yeah, opinion. but CJ. The thing with CJ is see what CJ does best: a score. Oh, absolutely. No and question. And so, at the end of the day, no But if there's scores. a loose ball and CJ's right there, he's diving on it. Yeah. CJ's that guy that you want in the locker room. But he has to score for us to have him on the floor. Yeah, because defensively, he's just average. I mean, but he, much of this roster is. And that's why, before the season, I thought it was telling when Coach McMillan was talking about their change in philosophy in that they're going to have to rely more on team defense and less so individual because you had George Hill to set the tone defensively, and while he wasn't an amazing defender, he was above average and underrated in my opinion. Then you had Paul on the wing, Roy as the rim protector out behind him. So if anyone got past the first line of defense, Roy was there. He was a safety net. Now you all you have left is Paul, and like you said, he, all the energy he has to spend offensively and keep everyone in check defensively. That I, I would say thus far we haven't seen the top five defender that we should see in Paul. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it's hard because the thing is, is Paul's taking the hardest matchup every night. Mm-hmm. And this is a league of superstars, and superstars will always get their numbers. You know, if a team wants a guy to score, he will score. He's going to get his shots. He'll get the volume. He'll get to the free throw line. And there's just... Not much you can do to stop, you know, a Carmelo, a LeBron, a Gordon, you know, a You're PG. You're just hoping to contain them. That's, right. that's all, no, that's all you can do. You just you make sure they don't have the game of fifty. You let them have twenty eight thirty. You don't let them have forty. But so when you watch, the key is you want to make it harder. You know, so if a guy, you know, the other night when they're playing Kimba, and it's like, so you don't want Kimba to get his twenty five on fifteen shots. You want Kimba to get his twenty five on twenty shots. You know, then you've won five more possessions than a normal game. So it's a way to look, because at the end of the day, everybody just looks at the points, you know, instead of looking at, did we make him work? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of games where teams make PG work really hard to score. You know, PG sometimes has to force shots because we know if he doesn't score, we won't win. So that means he has to take a couple extra shots, which eliminates a couple other opportunities for other guys, and that's when you see the volatility of everybody else when another team plays good defense against us. And if they're making Paul George work more on the offensive end, it's it's obviously going to make him suffer a little bit, at yeah. least defensively. Well, and that's It's hard to play at that level well, and sustain it throughout a game. And that, 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 I mean, to bring me to a point, P- G. Hill. You know, George Hill, we talked, I mean, I worked with George Hill this summer, and a big thing that we talked about was he would get frustrated, you know, 
because he had such a low usage rate. And every other point guard in the league basically has the highest usage rate on the team. So these dudes are coming and going at him, going at him, going at him. So he's having to work defensively, work defensively. And then on offense, he would stand in the corner. So his guy, his guy would just be chilling, relaxed. So rather than keeping his man honest, you know, it's just it's, and that's the way to look at you know when you look at matchups. It's like so if PG's guarding LeBron, he's got to work. We have to make LeBron work on the other end, you know. So if you're not running stuff for PG, and they're not, you know, so it's just it's a tug of war that it's you know it's. It's just a next level thinking other than points, rebounds, assists. It's, no. you know, at the end of the game. It's a deeper dive into it of how they got those points. Yeah, and it's, there's a lot to be said about how much a guy has to work. You know, it's, it's not a surprise that a team that relies so heavily on a guy, being PG, struggles at the end of games because you've had to rely on him to keep you in the game for three quarters. You know, it reminds me of the Detroit game last year where PG just went off in the fourth quarter. And at the end of the game, he ran off like 15 straight to bury him. You know, but he can't do that every night. That's hard. I mean, it's, it's extremely hard to score in crunch time. You know, it's easier to score throughout the flow of the game when a team's not queuing on you. But at the end of the game, you're going to get doubled. You know, the, they're going to load up the defense onto the, you know, your side of the floor, make you throw the pass, make the odd guy shoot the shot. You know, it go into your team defense theory. Yeah. You know, the, and that's a learning curve. You know, the best defenses usually have been together for a little while. And so I expect that part to take time. What, I, what should never take time is the effort. And this isn't just me or other media members or fans noticing. It's players inside the locker. Yeah, there's no effort. Our effort has to improve. Coach McMillan's called him out. Stuff like that. And talking to Al Jefferson last night, I thought it would be interesting for him, hearing from him coming from Steve Clifford, mm-hmm. who's a big-time defensive coach. They had just faced him. He's like, yeah, or energy and effort defensively. It's all a mindset. we got to believe. we got to take it one, one possession at a time. Then we got to string stops together. And very, very few um, times this season have they been able to string stops together. Yeah, and if you don't string stops together, you can't win. So... The, the thing about energy and effort is... You can always control those on the defensive end. Yes. Doesn't matter how, how you know, and, and unless, you are. And everyone. unless you're throwing up so many points that you don't have to, which the Pacers are, aren't, but they are scoring an abnormal amount of points for a Pacer team. In terms of any team we've seen, you know, they're up there in the scoring ranks. You know, so it makes you wonder where the players' focus is. Is the players focused so much on offense that they're tired on defense? Well, think about it. What did we talk about all offseason? Up-tempo, score five to seven more points, retooling the roster to compete with the new style. That's, that's been the emphasis. And, and so the theory It's all is, they hear about. And so our theory is, you know, if you just look at it from that perspective, is how many shots can we get up compared to the other team? Our theory is we're going to make more. If we shoot the same amount of shots, we're going to make more as long as we get more up. Well, if you're telling your team that, then you're sprinting harder in transition. You're really getting the shot on offense that you want. And then on defense, it's just how quickly can we get back to offense? So you may gamble a little bit more and not necessarily take your, you know, make that rotation because you're ready to hit the break again and go get that next shot. So it's, you know, you're, it's a tug There's of a war. There's a trade off. Yeah. It's a tug of war. You know, you watch. What, what do people talk about? You know, people say Golden State's a great defensive team, but they just bury you offensively so much that it 
makes them look better defensively. You know, but you watch San Antonio. San Antonio locks you up from a team def- defense perspective in terms mm-hmm. of they make you take shots you don't want to take. The Pacers, if I'm a, another guy coming in here right now, I'm licking my lips. You know, it's like, oh, I get to have fun tonight. Right. You know, because that's one thing in watching the Pacers is it just seems they give up shots that the rest of the league doesn't. You know, everybody's taught not to give up a corner three. Pacers, under Frank Vogel, they always played the percentages. They'd take away your three-pointers in the corner. League. Right, and they'd, they'd allow all the, the 18-footer jumpers you want because that's the worst shot in basketball. It is, but it only matters if you, if, if you do it. <laughs> right. right. You know, so it goes back to you know, the energy, the effort, but a lot of it comes down to the IQ. A lot of it comes down to do you care. Where, where I was surprised with Al was he, I, I go, no one expects you to be a top 10 defense, but historically this, this franchise, wait, what? No, I believe we can be a top five defense. And I was like, mm, I don't see it. Not, not with this, and it's no knock on them. Yeah, but just nobody's allowed to say that the we personnel. Can't. Nobody's allowed to say, well, we're not going to be. He didn't need to correct me. <laughs> like, it, it was just a lead into my question. Yeah. Yeah, but it, that's where I was getting. At. But that just goes. And, but uh, if but he, that's but a good he, mindset. But if he's that quickly to change it, that means they've talked about it. So you know, if he's you know, usually the guys will interrupt or change your line of thinking when it's something that has been discussed previously. It's always interesting to hear Coach McMillan talk or whomever the coach is, then come into the locker room and see what guys specifically or what messages they repeat, sometimes word for word. Yeah, because you're. You know, you're taught as a player to echo your coach. Because if you're not, you're not listening. You're not being coachable. So, if Not the, on the same page. If the coach comes in and says, guys, we are going to hammer down defense. We're going to be a top, you know, then whether you believe it or not, it's like your rah-rah speech. You know, now granted, you only get so many of those a year where you, until before guys just say, this isn't happening. You know, but so... You know, it'll be very interesting to see what the Pacers do after this first 10 games of the year when you start really getting into, you know, the, the season. You know, things are still new. You can just say when they start playing good teams, too. Yeah. yeah I mean, they played a Dallas team that's been injured. They're underwhelming. Brooklyn could be the worst team in the league. Philly. Probably the worst team in the league. <laughs> Philly again on Friday, the worst team in the league and without guys. The Lakers, they did surprise me w- with what they've done. They're 4-4 four and four at this point mm-hmm. and have impressed. That's, I think that's just young guys playing hard. They have nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, if you have it's nothing- amazing what happens when Kobe leaves. Guys get opportunities. Yeah, but Kobe, Kobe still would be the best player on that team if he was still playing. No, but it was how he bogged down the offense. It doesn't matter. Me, 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 me. If a guy can score 60, I'll sign him tomorrow. I don't want anything. No. I'd sign him to the Pacers tomorrow. If you can give me no. 30 points a game, 20 points a game, who wouldn't take it? The thing is how it I comes. Bet, I bet he'll get guys to play harder. The diff- No, I guarantee you that. His mindset. thing with that is if you get 30 points, okay, great, but how many shots is he firing up? 40. Well, then you're going to lose every game. But if you put him around good guys. But you can't afford him. That, that's <laughs> hypothetical. It doesn't matter. But what I should mention is Pacers defense last in field goal de- percentage defense, allowing opponents 48%. Also in transition, they've been awful. Worse than the league, give up 23 points off turnovers. That's interesting to me as well. Defense is the biggest thing I want to see um, elevated, improve something. Yeah, Little baby scoring, steps. The scoring's sco- fine. There's nothing that needs to be changed about the scoring. You know, you if they end up averaging for the season what they're averaging now on scoring, 
you would save at the beginning it's of the year. It's higher than Golden State average last year. Yeah, you would have said at the <laughs> beginning of the year the Pacers could be a top 2-3 team in the East if they're going to put up these numbers by what they said in the offseason. So, you know, you try to judge a team based on, you know, every team has specific goals. And then there's also goals that we don't know about. Sure. To the public, we were told we want to score, we want to play faster, we want to get up and down, we, you know, how fast can we go? Well, how can we say they're not being successful then? They're doing it. The points are there. They're getting well above that the was five all, to seven that points that Larry we, stressed. That was all we were told in the offseason was we're making moves to score more to play faster. They did it. So And what about the defense? Oh, we got Dan Burke. <laughs> well, but it's there was never any there was never any talk of the defense. You know, Very little. The defense was Very we'll figure it out as we go. Hopefully we score enough to win. Mm-hmm. Well the problem is so many other teams, especially in the East, have a lot of continuity. And they're learning to score while still having their defensive principles intact. You know, Charlotte's a great example of that. They've just been building slowly. They, I mean, yep. their team is a hodgepodge of a bunch of random guys that nobody thought would ever be able to work together. And it's working fantastically. And it, there's a lot to be said about, you know, the continuity. Now, is their ceiling as high as the Pacers? Probably not. But is their floor a lot higher than the Pacers' floor? Absolutely. I'd say so. Yeah, I really like watching Charlotte play, even though it's it's a group. Yeah, it's a I can bunch watch of play every night. It's like a bunch of misfits almost, but together they come together and it, and it works out nicely. And you mentioned Pacers defense again. Charlotte ninety nine points through three quarters. Philly last night had something like eighty six through three quarters. They average uh, ninety one per game. It's the same Philly team though. Far too many points. It's the same Philly team that just played Utah decently tough for three and a half quarters the other night. Granted, Utah didn't have George Hill, yeah. which is a big loss. But, you know, Philly is not – they're not great. I mean, they're not good. But they're much more competitive than we're used to. They got a great coach, too. I think Brett Brown's underrated. He's doing well. He hadn't had an opportunity to really coach a quality team yet. I mean, to prove it's his hard value. to say that he's even been able to coach. Mm-hmm. When you don't have your team, yeah. you're not coaching. You know, it's just it's not fair to a coach to say, you know, you're being successful or not when you don't have a team. Take me inside the locker room as a former professional player. What when the media's coming in, you hear the fans talking to a lesser extent, obviously, but what's your mindset? Are you are the players probably thinking, man, we really gotta get this act together? A, we'll be fine, let's not overreact. What do you think the mindset is in a locker room like theirs right now? They don't care what the fans and the media says. It's just that stuff is just, you know, being professional. Sound like Chuck Pagano. It's just noise. It, it, no, but it, it really is because you know that it's a long. I mean, especially. I mean, I never had the privilege of playing in the NBA, yeah. but I've trained a lot of NBA players, and we have a lot of conversations. You know, during the season, off season, and it's a long, long year. You know, the amount of times I'll talk to my guys that I train after a game. And immediately their response back is, it happens on to the next one. They don't even want to talk about it because nobody has 82 good days a year. You know, it's just, it's impossible to come out and one, be ready to play 82 times. So from a team, you sit there and you go, it's just eight games into the season. You know, we're not even a tenth of the way through the year yet. But the manner in which they play isn't raising red flags, none of that at this point? It, it, it just depends on what you're trying to judge them by. You know, from 
are they going to contend for a championship? Yes, it raises red flags. You know, I don't think a team that give, that's this bad defensively has a chance long-term to win a championship. Does a team that scores this much have extreme potential in this NBA to be very successful? Of course. You know, it's just, it's about your line of thought in terms of what you think this Pacer team is going to be this year, next year. You know, because mm-hmm. to me, I look at them and say, this year might not be the year that we really contend. You know, do I think we'll make the playoffs? Yes. Do I think we'll be higher than a six or seven seed? Only if the defense has a miracle. But <laughs> the thing is, when you look at this type of team and you go to the next season, it's very, very exciting. You know, it's hard to look into the future already. And that's what fans love to do. It's, it's crazy. That the, in the reporting business, transactions get way more interest and attention than present-day stories. Yeah, because it's the what-ifs. The, the, the only thing that scares me about the Pacers is if you don't win, how long will PG take that's the big thing in this that this season really has to be about more than anything because this isn't a roster built to win a championship. We all know that. I think the best it could go is compete in the Eastern Conference Finals. That would be a successful season. Yeah, compete, not win. Um, well, nobody's getting. I mean, nobody's going to be able to get past Cleveland unless LeBron's injured. That, and, and, unless there's and he had missed a postseason game in his career. I think 199. Yeah. I mean, games. unless there's an act of God, you know, it's just it's yeah. There's right the writing's on the wall there. You know, now obviously it's sports. Weirder things happen, but in the best of seven, you just can't only do so much. So that said, Paul's under contract for at least one more year. He'll opt out. That's just smart business. Yeah. Um, or get a contract extension. And for him, what he needs to see is a positive step forward that they can get to the playoffs, that they're not in the lottery, positive developments that that excite him about being part of the future. Yeah, uh, every player wants to win. You know, and the thing with Paul is he's basically accomplished. And he's in his he's accomplished everything. Peak of his career. He's accomplished. He's been an All Star. He's been on the Olympic team. He's accomplished everything an individual can do in this league, other than win. And he's been close. You know, when we had the Pacers team that was with the Heat, and you know, against LeBron, that was you know he's got a little taste of it. You know, and so that taste is addicting to guys. You know, you always talk to guys, and you know. Until they've won, that's all they want to do. Now, once they've won, then, you know, goals change. And, you know, is it about money? Is it about enjoyment? You know, but at the end of the day, you have to show him that he wants to win. You know, do you guys want to win? Are you invested in winning a championship? I know he he was encouraged that Larry didn't throw in the towel and just start rebuilding big time this year, Mm -hmm. look for draft picks and just keep it going. And that's not Larry's mentality. He's a guy that he's... Larry's will always won. Right. That's all he knows, and so he's never going to tank. He laughs at that idea. Yeah, and, and that that yeah for Paul that was good to see that he makes moves. He he wasn't going to keep it the same because just because they could get to the postseason. Yeah, and I think Paul wants to win championships. Who doesn't? And yeah. he there's a lot of you know it's there's a lot of competition throughout the league to just make the playoffs. You know, you see teams that get built not with the intention of making a championship run, but of let's just see if we can get out of the first round. Let's just see if we can make the playoffs. You know, and I think Paul's not, I can't, you know, I haven't spoken to him, but I don't see Paul as being the type that's content 
was just, being a second round guy. Just every listen year to his, his comments. Career. He said before the season, he was saying, "I, I think this the this could be the year. I want to take LeBron head on. We want to we want to knock him out." Mm-hmm. Those are bullish comments before your team with six new guys, a new head coach, have even played a meaningful game yet. And that's because of the confidence that he has in himself. Sure. You know, he thinks... Oh, I don't fault him for those comments, but that speaks to where his head's at. Yeah. He thinks he can compete with anybody in the league. And, you know, and you can't argue with him on that, but it's about putting the team around him. You know, and you get good pieces. You know, Jeff Teague is a great piece to match up with a Kyrie. You know, people wouldn't want to say it, but if you let Jeff and Kyrie just go head-to-head... One, it'd be awesome to watch them in transition. It would. But it's just when you look at you know how we're built, it's like we're built to match up with Cleveland and being the Pacers, you know, but are you built to survive the rest of the Eastern Conference? And there's there's something to that. They were built to beat Miami. Mm-hmm. They had a very favorable matchup against Miami. They couldn't Miami couldn't handle the bigs. Roy just went off against Miami when he was awful against Atlanta or against their other opponents in the conference. Yeah. And we have one of the elite defenders in Paul that could give LeBron some frustration. Nobody can stop him. No. But it's just, when you look, we score a lot. Golden State scores a lot. We can play really fast. Golden State plays really fast. What do they always talk about with Cleveland? Their bigs don't like to be pulled out on the perimeter. We got Miles. Miles will pull him out on the perimeter, knock down the threes, can match up with Kevin. You know, so it's just... You you match up really well with Cleveland. Just the question is, will you get your team in the position to have the chance to show what you're built for? You know, and it's one of those where, heck, maybe the Pacers want to be an eight seed. You know, nobody wants to, but it's like match up with Cleveland first round and see what you can do. That's what you're built for. That's what it seems you're built for. Yeah, I, I think they're going for as high a seed they can get. Everybody they want, is. They want to win those games, and and hopefully their goal is to match up with Cleveland for a chance to go to the, the NBA Finals. Enough of Pacer talk. A lot of other stuff I did want to get into with you, primarily the guys you work with. Full disclosure, guys you're with uh, and train during the offseason, Gordon Hayward, ever since, basically. Yep. Right, he came into the league. George Hill, as of this year, former Pacer Shane Winnington, former Pacer Brandon Rush, Carl Landry, former Pacer Jeremy Evans, local product Josh McRoberts. How much fun f- for you is it to to see these guys during the NBA season after spending significant time with them during the regular season and observing, did they take something to heart? Did he kind of lose track of that change in his shot? What are you looking for um, throughout an NBA season with the, your guys? It, it kind of goes in segments. Um, you know, these first 10 games, you know, we work with pretty much all of our guys until they leave for camp. You know, and once you leave for camp, you kind of go back into the team routine. So we like to see, mm-hmm. you know, for these first 10 games, how much of our stuff, you know, that we incorporated into their games, you know, because you want to make them a better player every year. And the team's goal is to make them fit the team better every year. You know, so you try to give them things that can work within the team perspective. And then everybody comes out with new wrinkles, new offense, you know, new philosophies. And so you kind of, this first 10 games is kind of our learning period with a lot of our guys. So we have a lot of dialogue 
after every game. You know, I talked to Gordon after every single Jazz game. Within three minutes, he's in the locker room. We're going back and forth about the game. Shouldn't he be talking to us media at that time? No. Uh, we, talk, we, 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 we get that out of the way before. There you go. You know, it's like, for instance, you know, the New York game. He was very frustrated with how he played. His first game first of game the back. season. Yeah, I mean, after the finger injury. And it's just, you know, the numbers, again, look great. But we have expectations that are so much higher than the numbers that he has. You know, so to the public, everybody thinks Gordon's playing great right now. Yeah, they, they see 25.7 points per game. Games of 28, 20, and 29. Yeah. And if you talk to Gordon, one, he's not happy because they lost a game. That's all that matters to him is winning and losing. Mm-hmm. You know, and two, he just there's no rhythm for him yet, which is expected. You know, he's basically working those first few game jitters out, you know. I always, I always joke, like Frank Vogel always says, it's the game rhythm, game timing. Yeah. Uh, that guys that are coming back from injury, it takes them several games, several practices to get that back. Yeah, and you know, and there's just we know what he's capable of. You know, everybody knows what he's capable of. You know, it's like with with G Hill. You know, G Hill's averaging career highs. You know, part of that is an attribute to usage. Part of that is you know, we've spent a lot of time perfecting certain situational moves, dribbling, you know, shot creation, looking to score with G Hill. You know, he's no longer in the corner anymore. You know, he sold that real estate for good actually, I think. Which is really He nice. thought he did a couple of years ago, but the transaction failed. I mean, but he didn't shoots, pass inspection, so he kept that real estate. But he shoots so well in the corner that you want to keep him there. You know, but <laughs> he's the best left corner three I, shooter in I the would, game last season. I would challenge somebody to watch him in a pick and roll. And find a guy that makes better decisions than George Hill in a pick and roll. You know, we one thing we do with all of our guys is we break down every single possession on synergy from their previous season. And we with all, them. W- right. With them, we send them clips. You know, basically we do full film review. And, you know, the difference is when we look at film versus a team, a team's looking at what can we do to win? What can we do to be more efficient? What can we do to be more effective? Well, when we look at it, one, we want our guy to win. We want our guy to play better, but it's how can we maximize our guy's earning potential? You know, so for a guy like G. Hill, he's got a one-year deal. You he's know, in a contract He's, he's in a contract It's year. a big year for so, him. His last big contract's probably coming. So for a guy like him, he has to prove in an NBA like today's that he can score— and handle and compete with these, you know, the quote superstar point guards in the league. You know, in the West, he's going to be going up against Damian Lillard, against Russell Westbrook. You know, those are top guys in the NBA. James Harden now think is a point guard. You know, but it's like in through you know all these games so far, he's producing at a level that is a maximum player level. You know, and. A, We've we talked to him the last time, you know, Rob, who I train with, Rob Black, Rob Blackwell. Um, you know, we worked together with St. Vincent Sports Performance uh, to run their basketball program, and Rob or I talks to every one of our guys, whether they're overseas, in the states, NBA, college, pretty much after every game. You know, we know their game so well that we can tell them little nuances or you know for instance with George after the New York game you know 
Rob and I are sitting there. We watch a lot of the games together. We have them on our phones, iPads, computers. You know, League Pass is the best thing ever. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and yeah. we just message George, you know, you're looking good, you know, and all he sends back is, I'm just doing everything we worked on this summer. And That's got to make you feel proud. Well, and it's, it does, and it makes us feel like we're doing the right thing. You know, because there's no gratification that we need from this. Our, all we want our guys to do is go play better. You know, if you know, it's like Gordon has increased his scoring average every year in the NBA since he's been with us. You know, he's went from a bench player at six points per game to now averaging 25 points a game. You know, there's a lot of people that never thought he could handle the ball and be the guy on a team. In Utah, everybody still wants to say that they're a superstarless team. You know, except for Doc Rivers out in, you know, uh, with the Clippers. Yep. You know, Doc Rivers is the one guy that every time they play, Gordon says he is a superstar. He is a superstar. Interesting. Because I wouldn't call Gordon a superstar. I wouldn't Paul, call Paul George a superstar. I think they're both stars in the so league. So is LeBron the only super? LeBron and no. Steph the only superstar? No, there's five, six, five I mean, probably. I, and then the way people describe a superstar. You know, it depends on what you're saying. Sure. You know, in term, I mean, probably it's not a superstar, but a star. You know, Gordon, he he deserves to be an all star. You know, he, oh, it, the, I cha- think the challenge for him is just being in that Western Conference. It's in the Western Conference is loaded, and you're dealing with a lot of PR. You're dealing with a lot of guys that have bigger brands than you. Exactly, are. your name players. You know, Kobe. It, Kobe should not have been an all star last year, but guess what? He's got a name. He's got a brand. He sells in China. It was his last year. I don't year. know if you can say a guy shouldn't be an all-star when he dropped 60 in his last There was a storyline. <laughs> well, when you... Sh- hey, let's bring the ball up. All right, Julius Randle has it, passes to Kobe. Kobe he shoots it. He won the game. Beat Jazz. Against Gordon, yeah. But, uh, yeah. no, it's, you know, it's so loaded in the West. But, you know, and winning matters. And the Jazz just missed out on the playoffs last year. So, you know, one of the big things that we've talked about with G. Hill and that G. Hill actually brought to us that he constantly continues to say is, I want to get Gordon to the playoffs. I want to get Gordon to the playoffs. I want to get Gordon to the playoffs. George has been there a lot. and Gordon missed one year. And Gordon's only been there once. And, you know, Gordon really wants to make That's pretty cool that George is saying that. Uh, Yeah, George. That's that's telling. Here, the storyline was they missed the playoffs 14-15 because of Paul's injury. And to gee, this is new. Yeah, I, what do I do? I, I'm not used to this. Mm-hmm. In San Antonio, I made the playoffs. My first three years here, I made the playoffs. I, didn't, I never want to taste this again. Just like Paul said, that since the day he was drafted, he doesn't want to, the Pacers to be in the lottery anymore. Sorry. No, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and that's everybody's goal, but it's George is such a selfless person. You know, whether it's his charitable contributions, you know, whether it's his family, whether it's his friends, whether it's old teammates. His last day in Indianapolis, he was out at a charity raising money here locally. Yeah. I mean, he's a— His last day, he could go hey, could go have a nice dinner downtown, could take Sam out on a date night in Indy, on guys, he could be out on his boat. No, he's giving back. Yeah, he's a phenomenal human. He's a phenomenal human being, and the best thing about it is he takes that over onto the court. You know, so a lot of this offseason, he would talk to us about, you know, do the guys in Utah go out to eat after games? You know, does Gordon and them, do they do team stuff? You know, do they do this? And he's like, well, they're going to do it when I'm there. He takes pride in being a leader. He's a quiet leader, right? Not as quiet as you'd think. 
To me, he comes across as the quiet leader. He's always doing the right thing. He's organizing things behind the scenes. Yes. But he's not going to scream out on and call someone out on the court. He'll pull them aside on the well, bench. Well, there's multiple types of leadership. You know, there's the leadership mm-hmm. by being, you know, a demonstrator. Kobe. Know, a learn, you know, somebody who really wants to show that they're a leader. Draymond. You know, and then you have yeah. the guys that lead by example. You know, Gordon's was for a while a lead by example guy. I'm going to work harder than everybody else. I'm going to show you guys the way, but I'm not going to. T- you know, it, it's just so you, it's a Ray Allen maybe in my mind. Yeah, you just you you have all different types of leadership, and in my perspective, I think George is the best type of leader you can have on a team. You know, he's a guy with a wealth of experience that wants to share it. He's a guy that you know speaks loudly but doesn't yell. You know, he doesn't demand your attention. But if you don't pay attention, you're really missing out on something. And he's never going to, you know, he's not the guy that's going to make you look dumb. You know, it's mm-hmm. there's something to be he said. He wants to make sure you don't look dumb. Yeah, he, he wants to make sure that you win. Yeah. You know, because George wants everybody to succeed on his team. You know, and he wants to enjoy everybody succeeding and you know you see that in his off-season workouts you know this off-season he worked out with Shane a lot up with us at Grand Park um you know Carl was in there Brandon Rush is in there and George would not he would do everything he could to not lose any one-on-one any two-on-two any three-on-three and if you were on his team for that two-on-two he basically coached you you know, and now we're telling him to go through certain little things and certain wrinkles and like, hey, you know, let's let's work on coming off. And then, you know, because we really worked hard on drilling like the snatch dribble, which is a backwards between the leg with him. You know, and his one of his best moves of the season was he came down, runs at a guy, throws it backwards. Dude just runs, you know. So we really tried to incorporate how great of a decision maker he is and how smart he is and just raise his ball handling up one more level so that he can get to yeah. every spot he needs to be. It's a good point, yeah. You know, and it's not a surprise to us. I, I mean, everybody says, oh, you're not surprised that, you know, George is averaging 20. No, and it, we're definitely not surprised. We, we're on record with Gordon as saying mm-hmm. we think he could be a 30-point-per-game guy in the NBA. See, and I haven't watched an entire game by any means yet. Uh, just getting full, league pass booted up and mm-hmm. logged in and all that type of stuff and some some time purposes. But for Georgia, it doesn't surprise me so far what he's done because he did the same thing was Paul was out. Now when Gordon's back, G has been out. And so once those two are together, then I'll be curious about what kind of level of production. I, I would guess that he drops down just a little bit. I think he'll go up. Uh, really? You look at the one game where they played together in New York, which was Gordon's first game. Quinn's a great, great coach. And the sets they run and the wrinkles they put in the offense are fantastic. You know, they put, at the end of the game, for about seven straight possessions, they ran a George Hill-Gordon ball screen. And you can't guard that. There's nothing you can do. You have to make the—you're going to make the wrong decision because George Hill's going to know what you did wrong. You know— and just the versatility that he has with that team, George's numbers will only go up because he'll be able to get easier shots. Gordon's numbers will only go up take because they're pre- able take to take pressure get, off one another. Because this is the first, you know, this is the first time in a while where Gordon has somebody else that is consistently reliable. You know, he has really good players on his team, but you just didn't know if they would show up every night. And 
Gordon takes fewer, and last year or the years before, he takes fewer uncontested shots than basically any superstar in the league. And by adding a point guard like George Hill that's able to find you when you're open, find you you know, when you're not open, but get you open, that can make a big difference. And then Gordon's a playmaker. You know, Gordon's, I think, in the NBA, the closest thing to LeBron there is in terms of an all-around player, offense and defense, passer, scorer, rebounder, you know. That reminds me, didn't he do a blog? What was the blog about, about LeBron? He be, about, he's, about he's better than LeBron, and LeBron couldn't beat him, but That's, it was about League of Legends. Okay, that, that was it, because he's yeah, a big gamer. A little bit of clickbait. That was a big gamer. And I, I think it's cool, you talk about guys' brands, and he's branched off um, doing, like Roy Hibbert, he's very much into gaming and all that kind of stuff, that I loved his post before, his first kid, I think it was. That, oh, sitting on his lap while he was playing? No, no, no the, before the first kid. Oh. He goes, I gotta soak this all in as much as I can, because once the kids come... Oh yeah, and then as well, with his wife and handling all that, who knows how much time I'll have to do this? Not much, yeah. <laughs> especially when you play at the level that he's playing. Yeah, and he's he's really taking you know the next step in his career. He it's too it's really too bad that he that he was unable to play with Team USA this summer. I'm all for it. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. He welcomed his second child, and that's nothing's more important. But for his playing career, that would have been. Huge for his brand and huge, I think, for his game as well. Yeah, but you can't replace family. Exactly. You know, and right. it's, it's I'm all like, for it. As, as, as cool as it would have been for everybody associated with him to see him succeed at that high level and build his brand and, you know, potentially bring home a gold medal, you know. Potentially, you, yeah. Well, you never They're know. Bringing when home you start gold. changing the teams, you just never know. He's bringing home a gold medal. But, you know, <laughs> you just can't replace family. You know, and family is very important to him. You know, his wife, Robin. And Thought their, it was cool. She was kids. at the first game back for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, they mean the world to him. You know, and yeah, I can't, like, when we go out to dinner with him, it's like, if we're on the road, he's FaceTiming, you know, Is he? Charlie and Bernie. Or, you know, it's just, he, family's very important to all of our guys. He even had him in a commercial. I forget yeah, what it was for. It was the Maybe NBA in. cares. It was, the, it was the all in commercial. You know, I'm all in for my family. I'm <laughs> That's right. In. I hope yeah. my daughter one day. Yeah. Something. You know, it was, I think cool. it was the equality yeah. commercials. But yeah. yeah, you know, and it's just, <laughs> those, and because those guys are such good guys, it's really a pleasure to even be able to associate yourself with them, one, and two, for them to allow you their trust to improve their games. You know, the first thing we tell a guy when we come in is you're fantastic before you got here. You know, you're a great player. You know, you have achieved so much without us. But you can be better. But let us try to make you better. You know, and for certain guys, that's very tough. You know, a lot of guys at this level don't like to be told what they're not good at. You know, and you, but you see it's a league of constant evolving. You know, the best players change year to year to year to year. And the game is ever-changing. Right now, the game is about being as versatile as possible. How many positions can you play for your team? You know, for Gordon, he can play the one through the four. You know, for G. Hill, he could play the one, the two, and, you know, he's probably a little small to play the three. But we want George to be able to be a pass-first facilitator and also to be the go-to scorer. We want Gordon. To just our goal with Gordon is to make him all around the best player possible, you know. And his ceiling is just so unlimited, you know, because he's just now. Yeah. I, he believes he's a great player, but he's really just now believing that he's a star. 
You know, and you just kind of see it in the way that he handles in himself. You know, the way his demeanor has changed and his approach to the game has changed. You know, it used to be happy-go-lucky. You know, I don't know how long I'll be here. I really just want to enjoy the ride. To, wow, I could really be something. To now, I'm the man. You know, but the humbleness doesn't change. It's just... It's just a different belief, you know, and that's what we're trying to establish in with, you know, we think George Hill could be a top four-point guard in the NBA. Really? You know, there's no reason he couldn't. Ooh, I can't go that far. How, why could he not be Chris Paul? He, I think he's, he's doesn't bigger. Doesn't have the quickness. He's more athletic. He's longer. Doesn't have the shot he like shoots, Chris Paul has. He shoots better from, than Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul's a better shooter. Paul George is like 55% from the corners. George Hill, you... Yeah. George Hill, yeah. Sorry, Paul George. <laughs> no, it happens Paul all George the time. Too. It happens all, all the time. All the Georges. Too many Georges. No, no G is amazing I, I, from the corners. There, I mean, George Hill is, I would say, probably, it, other than Chris Paul, the smartest point guard in the league. Th- that I probably couldn't disagree with. He's Yeah, he, he makes brilliant I mean, I decisions. I don't know Chris Paul on a personal level right. of his he doesn't playing. Turn, he doesn't turn I, the ball over. That's That was the biggest thing with... With G. Hill, I always talked and about. G. Hill he was had, always safe. He was reliable. He wasn't going to turn it over. He was going to put your team in the best position. And he had some lost years in Indiana, really and truly. He just wasn't necessarily utilized to his potential. No, now, not at all. They were successful. So you can't fault a coaching staff for being successful. because that And that's where we that's defer. That's their job. And that's where we defer from a coaching staff. Because when we take a guy, we want to find a way that he can get more. You know, how does a guy achieve more? How does a guy get to that, you know, next level? How does he earn himself more shots? You know, we don't ever tell a guy to go out and just go jack up. You know, we show them in their offense where you can sneak in some more shots, where you can, you know, hey, look at this look. Look, if you did this, see how it changes the defense, and then you would have a little bit more of an opening. You know, because the NBA is about, it's a make or miss league, and it's a who gets better shots. Well, when you have guys like George Hill and Gordon, they're some of the best shooters and scorers that you can have on your team. So if they're not shooting and scoring, your odds of winning go down. So our thought is give them more skills and give them, you know. So on those rare off nights, they can contribute in other ways. They contribute in other ways. You know, we always talk with Gordon about how bad is your bad game. You know, you, we all, we, you know, every, everybody always says you fall to your level of practice. We say you fall to your level of training. You know, mm. and no matter how bad you play or how bad you have a shooting night, nobody's going to shoot well every night. But if, you, you know, if you're making the right reads, if you're making the right play, you know, which pros don't ever really have games where they don't make the right percentage play or, you know, it's just so ingrained in them. But it's, you're just going to miss shots some days or somebody's going to scout you a little different and give you a wrinkle you haven't seen. And we just want to make it so your bad game is so much better than your old bad game. You know, Gordon's old bad game used to be five points. You know, now he's been playing not great and he's putting up 25 a game. You know, so that makes your bad game better. And you're great. We don't want you to have a, you know, the big fluctuation. You don't want such a variance. No, yeah. we want to be able to write you in for 26 a night. You know, we don't want you to have 40 and then have seven. And that would put him, I think, easily in the top 10 in scoring in the league. Yeah. And, and you know, and Paul was ten, Paul locally here was 10th last year, for Paul example. Him and Paul will forever be linked. They are, you know? And that's always a fun and matchup. They're, they're so identical in how they play. 
but they're in two completely different systems. You know, I think if you swap the two, it would be very interesting to see, you know, hypothetically speaking, how they would make their teams different. You know, because Paul takes a little more of a scoring on us, and Gordon takes a little more of a facilitating. You know, now Gordon looks to score, but Gordon will pass a lot. He'll overpass, you know, which we talk to him a lot about. You know, okay. at the end of a shot clock, you don't necessarily, like last year. You're the al- guy that needs to take the shot. He would always kick the ball to the corner to Trevor Booker to shoot a three. Do we want Trevor Booker shooting a three in the corner as the shot clock runs down, or do we want you to create a shot and maybe get a foul? You know, shoot a con- maybe a slightly contested shot for you is better than the next option. You know, so that's different types of stuff that, you know, we try to talk to our guys about on a daily basis. You know, the amount of context that we have throughout a season. You know, last year, for instance, after, during the All-Star break, we went out and spent three or four days with Gordon, and we put in a whole post game over the All-Star break just because he wasn't getting to the free throw line enough and he wasn't utilizing his size as well as he should. You know, he would get mismatches and not really demand the ball. So we put in four moves over the All-Star break, very simple, you know, because he would get cut off on his driver double teamed and would immediately pick his dribble up and pass. Well, just turn around and go into a crab dribble. You know, keep your dribble alive. Keep the threats open. They can't leave the double team now, so if they stay, he's such a good passer and he's big enough that he can see everything. And if they leave, now you have a one-on-one in the post. So we did that, and, you know, and he raised his free throws per game like four per game after the All-Star break. And now he's been ridiculous here, what, three games into the season, 22 for 22. Yeah, hasn't missed. Not bad. You know, and his balance has changed. You know, he used to, if you go yeah, and watch he did his, change that. If you go and watch his film from last year, he fell forward on a lot of his free throws. Most, I feel like most players fall back if they fall. It, most most players would. Especially you when know, they're talking about three-point shot, he, too. He almost used to guide his in. Rather than, he's such a good oh. shooter, just shoot it. You know, get your base straight up, straight trust, down. Trust what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, you know, he was waiting for the offensive rebound. You know, it's like, follow your shot, follow your shot. You know, and you widen his base a little bit. You just give him a little more solid. He's gained so much strength. You know. That's the amazing thing for, I think, Butler fans to see. Is they saw this skinny, scrawny guy with long hair. A bowl haircut, cut, mm-hmm. right? And now he's he's jacked. He's jacked, Mr. GQ. Sharp, yeah. GQ. And he's got what J.J. Reddick calls the best hair in the league. <laughs> uh, it's it's amazing. Corey Hawkins. <laughs> that's my guy. <laughs> yeah, he cuts your hair that, too, that, doesn't yeah, he? That, that's, the, that's the best guy in town. Um, no, but it's just, you know. I need a haircut, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going there this evening. Um, but it's just, you know, he's just changed. You know, it's just all over the place. Yeah. No, you talk about his game. You talk about his body. You know, talk about his family. Of, a lot of the body stuff, I mean, his he's skills. put in so much time over at St. Vincent's. You know, Greg Moore is, I think, one of the best strength and conditioning coaches around. You know, and that's who Gordon's been with since his rookie year. You know, and he has literally transformed his body. You know, and we see, yeah, we see all that. I mean, and it's just, he's healthy. I mean, he's. For the last, he's not doing any one of those wild diets, is he? Like the paleo, or nope, just eats healthy. The Luis Scola, don't eat anything that's good. <laughs> nope, nothing crazy. Nope, it's just natural. I mean, and it's just he just works. You know, there's something to be said about a guy that just is diligent and puts in the time and commits to a process. You know, it's very important to commit to a long term process with your career, with your body. You only have so you have a very finite amount of time to maximize your earning potential in this league. 
that can set yourself, your family, your grandkids, their, you know, you can set a lineage of success based off what you can do during your time in the league. And I think that's something that he's really, you know, bought into is, you know, let's see how far I can take this thing. How great can I be? How, you know, how much can I earn off of my skills? And, you know, he's invested a lot of time, like I said, with Greg Moore. I mean, it's, it's very monotonous. You know, I was his workout partner when we were in college. We grew up together, and we would always do the same thing, you know. And he just had a little bit more. You know, he just had a little edge to him that would get him that little more all the time. And, you know, now training him, you just – it's like, let me pull a little more out of you. You know, you got a little more in the bag. Let's, let's see how much we can get out of this, you know, because he's, he's 26, you know. He's got two more max deals left in him at a minimum. You know, he'll probably sign a max deal here at the end of this year, whether he opts out or signs an extension. Um, you know, so then he'll sign a max deal for four, six years, puts him at 31, 32, you know, and then he's got one more max deal in him. You know, that's a lot of coin, man. It's a lot of money. And man. But, it's, but it's an investment he made in himself from his starting in his rookie year. It's amazing to think, yeah, the transformation he's made. Because I'm trying to remember what I thought he could do in the NBA. Well, a lot of it's guys. It's been a while. I think I thought he'd just be a solid eighth, ninth man on a roster. A lot of guys thought he could break a rotation and be a shooter and be a role player. You yeah. know, be yeah, kind of like be a, a Kyle Korver, a maybe. Kyle Korver, a Novak. You know, yep. maybe not shooting to that level. You know, because he's a little more athletic. That I mean, and he's a lot more athletic now. But a lot of people viewed him in that. But it's the first time we had him on the court. It was like, dude, you can be a all star. You can be one of the greatest, you know, the greatest jazz players other than, you know, outside of Carl Malone and John Stockton. I mean, granted, if he stays in Utah long term, then you have he'll potential. have every record. Because it's just a different league. He has more reps. You know, you score more on a nightly basis. He's the focus. He's the sole focus. He's the sole focus. And, you know, he deserves everything that's coming to him because you want guys that put in that amount of work that they do to really reap rewards. And he's not only worked, he's worked very smartly. You know, everything we do, every workout we do... It's with a purpose, It's right? with a purpose. Yeah. It's all backed by film. It's all backed by science. It's all backed by stats. You know, we don't just come out and say, all right, guys, we're going to just work on our step back today. <laughs> we do that, you know... Let's watch film first of why we're doing a step back. Yeah, we or... explain every reason of why we're doing it. Because these guys are so so smart that, you know, if we were to show up to the gym one time without a plan, I would not expect them to come back. If I ever mailed in a workout with a pro, they should go find somebody else. You know, it's my job to get them ready. They entrust in me to make them better. You know, and every pro has a different goal. Some, you know, are at the end of their career, like a Carl Landry, who just, you know, we're trying to get him another deal. You know, he, we've expanded his game to make him a three-point shooter. You know, Jeremy Evans just came with us after he got cut. You know, we tried to give him a little bit more ball skills, just some ball security, you know, because he's such a yeah, leaper. He, yeah, he definitely needed that. And, you know, he can shoot a lot better than people give him credit for. Um, but he just needs a little bit more ball skills, you know, just to make him a little more versatile, just to give him a little more of a marketing power. You know, Shane Whittington, a lot, he's a phenomenal player. We just needed to give him trust. He needed the confidence in himself that he could play at a really, really high level. I could see that, because after making so many trips up 69 to the Mad Ants, you're, the, you're kind of the best of the best there, 
But now you come back to the Pacers and you get in with two minutes left in the game. Either people have left the arena because it's a blowout win or big-time loss. And, yeah, yeah, you you need to instill that confidence, especially in a young guy like Shane. Yeah, and, I mean, the best quote, I mean, it's the best thing a guy can ever tell us was Shane was he was just, you know, I wish I would have been here my whole career. I would have never got cut. You know, and the same thing that Jeremy said, if I would have been with you guys all along, I would have never got cut. You know, and there's something to be said when that's repetitive. I shot you a text. You know where I'm going with this. I shot you a text when I saw my guy, old Lancey, yep. who's now represented by Priority Sports. Love to see him come through with you guys. That we'd, would be huge. We'd love to have him. You let know, he's, let he's Ralph healthy, get his groin. Get healthy. Let my friend Ralph Reeve get his groin right, and then let you and Rob touch him on the basketball floor. We, we oh, basically man. have all the other ex-pacers. <laughs> right. No, you, <laughs> you do. Know, I mean, and it's, you do. You know, and we'd love to have, you know, I think that the would be huge pacers, for his game. You know, but the coaching staffs do a great job. You know, and we are the alternative to a coaching staff. You know, it's like, you know, you'll have guys in the NBA that have their personal doctor or their personal, you know, massage therapist outside the team, you yeah. know, as a trust factor. LeBron, I think, has his, he, he I has mean, his own team. He, yeah, he has his own team. He's di- he's different. He's yeah, an he exception. A, he, I think he has his own masseuse, he his, his own, own trainer. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He's got a gym in his house that's a legit duplicate, if not, you know, whatever, of, of the Cavaliers. Yeah, and, you know, and that's something like we'll go out to you. We go out to Utah a couple times a year to check in on our guys, you know, to do tweaks. You know, we talk to them after every game, you know. Brandon Rush is one of our guys. He cracked the rotation in Minnesota, which a lot of people thought he was just a throwaway. You know, after being in the bench at Golden State for a couple years, he cracks the rotation. You know, it's just our guys are performing at very high levels. You know, Shane has gotten player of the week over in Spain. He's shooting like 60% from three right now. That's interesting because before the season two years ago, one of the things he told me after seeing the shift that Larry was – Making public, mm-hmm. he goes, during consistent playing time, I've got to be able to knock down the three. Yeah. Now, the trust factor wasn't there. The consistent time wasn't there. So he didn't trust the shot to be there. Yeah. And, you know, and with him, is we really focused on realizing how big you are. Nobody is going to block a shot when you're that big. If you have a, you know, it's like Dirk. You know, he's a little shorter than Dirk, but it's, he, has, he shoots the ball at such a high clip. It's like, dude, we just got to be able to get your shot off. You know, so one dribble sequence, one, two dribble max, you know, but using your body properly, you know, knowing that if I turn and just fade a little bit, you know, nobody's getting to that. It's impossible. And then realizing my job is to shoot. You know, we use with all of our shooters, we use the sniper analogy with every one of them. A sniper is on the battlefield to make everybody else know that they're safe. You know, his job is to take out the big threats. Well, as a shooter, your job is to knock down shots. If you're not shooting and you're a shooter, then what are you doing on the floor? You know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the analogy we like to use with our guys when we're describing shooting. You know, if the sniper doesn't do his job, we're going to lose the war. And part of me, to bring it back local, that makes me think of Monte Ellis a little bit. He's a scorer. He's a shooter, and if he's not doing that, it's great to see him get others involved. And he doesn't need to shoot 30 shots a game or 20 shots a game. But if he's not being a weapon out there, and we know he can't defend, what is he doing? Yeah, and it's just about doing what you're supposed to do. You know, at the end of the day, it's a very simple game that can be made so complex. The game is about shooting and making the best shot possible and stopping people from scoring. You know, it's very simple. So 
when you're out there, if you can see the rim and you shoot the ball as well as a guy like Shane or a guy like Brandon Rush or Gordon or George, you know, or PG, you know, any CJ, you know, if you can shoot the ball as well as them and you pass up an open shot, you're hurting the team. Yeah. Really and truly. You know, why would you defend yourself? You know, it's like guarding your own self. You're guarding yourself from scoring by not taking the shot that's there for you. You know, PG does it a lot where he kind of overdrives or really tries to draw the foul instead of just taking that first shot that's given to him. And he's an excellent outside shooter. He's yeah. phenomenal. He's one of the I think he's one of the best spot-up shooters in the league. I think if he were ran off more screens, he could shoot levels of Ray Allen style from 3. You know, he just shoots the ball at that high level. Now, he handles the ball great. You know, he develops and creates shots great also. But don't make it more complicated than it needs to be until it needs to be complicated. You know, and that's kind of what we preached to all our guys is at the begin at the end of the day, you're here to catch and shoot. You're here to catch and go and make the easy if there's a line to the bucket, take the layup. Don't make a move. You know, we don't <laughs> need seventeen dribble sequences. The reason we drill so much ball handling is so that whatever situation you're in, your body just naturally has that counter. You know, so if you come off a ball screen and they hedge hard. You know, a lot of teams are really hedging hard on guards these days. And they hedge hard. That guard has to be able to make a quick reaction and a quick move to be able to keep the advantage. Where if the guard doesn't have the confidence to make that quick change or, you know, to hit the guy with a quick behind the back and then come back the other way, you know, it limits what you can do. You know, a lot of people nowadays, you know, there's a lot of trainers out there now. It's a very easy thing to do. It's a very hard thing to master. And a lot of guys will just say, all right, go do this move. Why? You know, that's Gordon's great at this. You know, he asks so many questions. I would be the guy that if there's no reason for it, I'm not doing it. And, and that's, that's how I was in school. And that's exactly how George Hill is. You know, they will not do anything that is not meaningful to getting better. You know, and so... Training with a purpose. It all goes it's, it's back to training that. with a purpose. It's, you know, it's whether it's their life at home, whether it's you know their diet, their weightlifting, their yep. treatment, their pregame, their postgame, you know, their film work. They don't waste time. These guys have so much in their lives that they can't afford to waste time. So in the offseason with us, they don't want to waste a minute of a workout. If they don't understand something, they're going to ask. If they need to see it, you know, we have all of our overseas guys around when our pros are in town so that we can give them five-on-five looks, four-on-four looks, you know, give them situational looks so that as much as we drill it, we can also play it, you know, because there's only so much drilling you can do before you need to see how it actually happens. And I was surprised at a uh, coaching clinic, junior NBA, there was a lot of high school coaches, about 200, and it was the Pacers coaching staff. I was like, the only media guy there was great. McMillan was asked, a lot of guys are just getting in the gym, living in the gym. Do you think drilling's more important or playing? And he was like, man, drilling's great, but there's something about just playing, just instinctually acting upon what you're facing that play. I thought that was interesting from Coach McMillan. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to beat playing. And as a player, you're, you're built to play. Right. You know, players <laughs> will invest a little bit more. Now, I mean, I, I think it was uh, Mike Miller. I loved his, I, I'm pretty sure it was his quote where he said, you know, I can play pickup and get five shots. I can work out for an hour and get up a thousand. You know, so it all depends on what your goal is. Right. And you want to, you need a combo, obviously. So, so something we really enjoy doing is, you know, situational, where we'll break, you know, 
three on three. Let's. This is the action we're thinking of. You know, so with George Hill, we put and Gordon, we like to put them in a lot of the actions that the Utah Jazz run them in. You know, so we drill all of the reads, reactions. This is every single scenario you could run into in a game. Let's master each one. You know, so that way when we get out into a game, it's just it just happens. You know, you don't have to think. Basketball players always say, if I'm thinking, I'm not playing well. You know, it's just a, We talked about that with Jeff Teague last night. It's just yeah. a flow game. You, you can't know? overthink it. And it's a, there's a comfort level. And, you know... It's Read so, and react. You know, and it's a lot of sleepless nights for Rob and I. You know, Rob Blackwell and I, we stay up. We watch every single NBA game. There's not one that we haven't watched this year. I mean... Some of them are terrible to watch, too. You know, you get like a Philly-Brooklyn or a Philly-Suns. I was surprised ESPN televised New York and Brooklyn. We knew going into the season. I mean, it's huge markets. You got but, markets. But it's, we know going a, into it's the a season, game. they're two awful teams. Yeah. Uh, New it, York has potential. Brooklyn has nothing. New they don't even a have a bright immediate future. They got a lot of names and a lot of brands. Right. You know, but, yeah, it, you can just learn so much from watching the game. You know, Especially in a league that never changes, in a league that's always changing. You know, from this first 10 games of the year, the next 10 games will be completely different. You know, that's then, how I like to break it down is 10 game seasons. Because it's, it's really like yeah. that. Because in 10 games, usually a team has either a mini road trip or a long homestand. And so, like the Jazz, for instance, you know, I speak about the Jazz because we have, you know, two of their really, really, you know, their top players. And so right. we really are heavily invested we're in heavily what they're doing in their in your individuals. And, you know, they're on like a seven game, you know, they're on a five game mini road trip, but it's like seven of their first eight are on the road. You know, you don't need to compare the middle, these middle 10 games. You know, these first 10 games are completely different than these next 10 games they'll have. You know, how we'll see them at home might be a better indicator of what they'll really be for the season. You know, and there's always the hangover from a road trip. You know, it's like with the Pacers. You know, there's so much of a learning curve. You always got to take it with a grain of salt. Yes, everything matters. You know, you can't ever just overlook something. You know, and when there's glaring errors, then it really is something that you have to take into consideration. You know, and that's the thing that scares me with the Pacers is these other NBA teams that have looked so good with so many new roster additions. You know, Utah had three big roster additions, you know, with George, Boris Diaw, Joe Johnson. You know, adding a new point guard, adding a new sixth man, you know, that's big. You know, it's kind of similar to the Pacers moves that they made. And for that team to have such success early on the road, you know, they're 5-3, and three, but that's a lot of success for a team that's had seven of their first eight on the road, and then for the Pacers to be four and four and zero oh and four on the road. Yeah, that zero oh and four on the road thing. You do, right, yeah. The road thing, I, I have nothing to explain for that. But you do have a new coach, uh, new philosophies. I new think philosophy, it's fair to I say. I mean, and I think Nate McMillan is—he's coaching a new style. He's you back know, to being a head coach. Every that takes every time. team Nate McMillan's ever coached has been a slower paced team. I think he's only been in the top twenty in pace once in his career as a coach. So he has to adapt just and like so, his players and so, do. You know, and there's a big learning curve there. And now, granted, he was an assistant, but, you know, you're changing philosophies from Vogel. You're changing a lot of the way that you look at the game as a player. You know, Vogel was such a defensive-oriented coach, you know, and the team was so defensively built when they had Hibbert and David West and all those guys to now have so much freedom. You know, and it's he's a player's coach. But a player's coach sometimes can go both ways because sometimes a player's coach doesn't push the players 
all the way. And now, you know, I'm not in the locker room every day and I'm not, you know, in practice, you know, so you can only assume. But there's patterns that happen in the NBA. And it's, you know, you don't, everybody, it's a cyclical league. You know, you see these stories over and over and over again. And, you know, I look at the Pacers and I see the Houston Rockets from last year. You know, you've got a guy that's a great scorer in PG similar to James Harden. How bad were the Rockets defensively? Yeah. It's very but they, they scored, scored a points. Ton of points. They scored a ton of points. And it's very similar. But couldn't defend and they the had league. some big names on the team. The Pacers acquired some big names. You have guys that need bigger roles, but you don't give it to them because you have such a star. You know, how is Miles Turner going to develop when you have all these other guys that need the ball? You know, it, it, about, he's he's. I think he has a chance to be an All Star. I said that before. I think the he season. could be an All Star next year. Oh, I'm talking this year, but I think yes, he's. I think, I think there's no question he's an All Star yeah. sometime. Yeah, but I. I mean, last year four double doubles. And he almost had his third in eight games yesterday. And he's another guy. Imagine what happens when he expands his game to create his own shot. Right now, he scores a lot off. Energy plays, run into the rim, trail threes. You rebound know, putbacks. Rebound putbacks. The occasional post move. Imagine what happens when he gets a one-dribble game. When he can, you know, get a guy off gets balance it, like bop, a dirt. Go up. You know, and that's the progression that we do with our guys. That you, you know, we sit there and we watch guys all over the league that we just wish we could get our hands on. You know, and it's like, what, you know, we have... We've had such success with our players. You know, we've got a guy in college right now, Jerome Blossom, game uh, with at Clemson. He's first team or he's second team preseason All American. You know, he's projected to be a first round pick last year, but decided to go back to school. You know, he's another guy. He was a four man. He came to us over the summer. Gordon had a camp that he came to, and he stayed, worked out with us, came to us again this off season for a little bit, and last year he went back and shot like forty six percent from three. And got first team All ACC. You know, it's just these developments that we've made in these guys. We just sit there and we look at guys across the league, and it's like, oh, I wish I could get my hands on them. I wish I yeah. could just give him a few things. Wrapping up here because this is by far now the longest podcast <laughs> in history of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. <laughs> I know it doesn't even feel like is, are these on? I don't even know because uh, we could go all day. Haven't hit on other sports, but I will ask you this. I know you. Are, we both consume NBA more than probably anything. How much are you able to watch of the college basketball season? Not as much. Um, a lot of it is just because the NBA game always trickles down to the college game anyway. So there's not as much of a need to watch the college game to train our college guys. How about just as a fan, fan perspective? How much are you watching locally? Butler, IU, I follow Purdue. along with the local teams. Yeah. I just, I'm so invested. I mean, I'll watch my guys. Sure. Like, so, I mean, we got guys, you know, I got IPFW guys. We got IU Purdue. You know, we got Xavier. We've got guys Lehigh, Clemson. You know, we got guys all over. So we'll, we'll watch games. And we'll get clips, you know, because you can pull all that up on Synergy. Synergy's the best invention of all time. <laughs> I mean, other than the computer that you can watch it on. It's like, you know, and so we'll watch a lot, but it's more to just watch our own guys. You know, I'll, I'll follow the tournament, you know, and if we get the inklings that we're going to get a guy for pre-draft, again, once we get a guy that's going to come to us for his pre-draft, we go and watch every game. You know, we watch every game, every possession of his college career. Because you need to know that. You know, we need to know what we're working with. You know, so I wish I could watch more. You know, I follow the Butler because my brother played at Butler, right. you know, and 
I've trained a lot of we basically were like Butler U after Butler when then you come to us to do your pre draft. You know, we had Rose Rosie. Jones this year. I've had Cam we've had Cameron Woods, you know, Gordon, uh we've had Rodney Clark, we had Andrew Smith, we had Matt Howard, you know. Basically, all the Butler guys. Once you're done, you just—it's just, like you just drive up, you drive down the street, you go up to 86th yeah. Street, and you come to St. Vincent. It's a natural progression. You know, it's just a natural progression in the life of a Butler basketball player, and you know, it's very enjoyable. Again, basically, we attract guys that want to work hard and that want to get better, and that's the type of guys that Butler has. That's why I really enjoy watching Butler basketball because they just—they do things the right way. I appreciate it, Jason. We got to wrap this up, right? <laughs> Appreciate it, though. Jason Smithers of St. Vincent's Sports Performance. Man, what a fun hour of basketball talk that was. We barely touched on the NBA and some of the other subjects that I wanted to hit on with him, but it's good to get in-depth a little bit of what he's seen with the Indiana Pacers thus far through eight games and then touch on some of the players that he has worked with, specifically Gordon Hayward and George Hill. To listen to new and archived episodes of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast, subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, we have you covered. And if you have a minute, please leave a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate that. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'll talk to you again next week.